0: What is up, everyone? Welcome to Season 2 of Yanks Go Talking. This is a U.S. soccer show where we're going to break down the upcoming World Cup qualifying games, talk about the roster, the strategy around the three-game window. But first up, we do have to update you on some of the transfers and the club forms that have happened. We took a two-week break, and it seemed like there was five months of stuff that happened in that time. So Tom and I are here to really catch you guys up, make sure you're ready to watch these next World Cup qualifying games. Before we kick off, though, Tom, how was the break? How are you doing?
1: Doing pretty well. Glad to be back for another school year. Um The summer is finally winding down and I'm back on a normal schedule. How are you doing, Jake?
0: Yeah, doing well. Went back to the States to see my family. So it was a nice little break, but I definitely missed talking soccer. We had some bonus episodes. I hope you guys enjoyed. But yeah, this... This is the meat of it. We're, we're starting to pick up some momentum on the show. So really excited to just get back and excitement around the team. I think that's where we left it at the last uh, episode of our podcast. But really, that's still going. I'm, I'm very excited to see these World Cup qualifying games and see how we do against some good opponents. But first off, there were some transfers that were completed over the last two weeks that we need to catch you guys up on. Josh Sargent is probably the highest profile one moving to the Premier League from Warder Bremen in the two Bundesliga. He's had a few uh, substitutions uh, appearances and he started in a cup game in which I believe he had two goals and one assist or one goal and two assists. So he's off to a good start. Uh, Owen Odessaoui also moved from Wolves to Club Bruges, which is in the Champions League. So we have another Champions League player playing in uh, for the U.S., and Sam Vines completed his transfer to Royal Antwerp, also in Belgium. I think there were a few others, Tom, who, who were kind of the outsiders that we don't really talk about as part of the US 23 that also moved this window.
1: Uh, I'm going to start with Matt Miazga. He got his transfer to Spain. He's now playing for Deportivo Alaves. I probably butchered that. I apologize to any Deportivo fans listening. But yeah, he's now playing as a starting center back in La Liga, which is a great move for him. If we want to go deeper down the roster, Tyler Boyd uh, ended up on loan to another club in the Turkish league. He left Besiktas for the year. Hopefully, he continues to show out as he has at every sort of lower Super League club he's played for and can sort of earn some min- minutes for Besiktas going forward. And if you want to go even further down to the obscure portions of the U.S. player pool, Matko Miljevic transferred to MLS. And he is now playing for CF Montreal.
0: Awesome. Well, that's uh, there's a lot going on. If we get outside the top 23 players for the U.S., I mean, there are going to be endless transfers starting to come. And I don't know if you've noticed, but just players moving from MLS, players moving from their second-tier leagues in Europe are just accelerating at such a fast pace for the U.S. team. But now that we've had a few games under our belt, I think uh, a few of the leagues, Premier League for one, has had three games. I think French League maybe has had three or four. So anyone that's stuck out to you so far in the club seasons, at least that's coming into this camp in form?
1: I think we got to highlight Gio Reyna as maybe the most informed player in the U.S. pool right now.
0: Why do you say that over someone like potentially Conrad or Brendan Aronson?
1: Reyna, has, he's been going through a position change at Dortmund. He's now playing as a center, central midfielder, at a true eight in the Dortmund system, and he's been on fire. Every time he touches the field, he seems to sort of electrify that midfield. He's got a goal. I think he might have an assist already, too. Yep. And just seeing him excel in that new position, is it's great to see and opens up a world of possibilities for the U.S. So i he's been the player who's excited me the most of anyone I've watched so far. Definitely.
0: And any injuries that stuck out to you? I think something I'd like to talk about a little bit later on is actually where Giorena plays, whether that's an eight or a winger for the Greg Bearhalter system. And what I was expecting, uh, actually Timothy Weah for Lille has a thigh injury. He'll be out of the camp. He's out for two to four weeks. And if Timothy Weah was in camp, I did actually expect Giorena to play centrally more as a, a 10 or an eight. Uh, but now that we have one less winger, it doesn't look like right now, Greg will call another winger in to replace him. Um, but anyone outside of Timothy Wea that we need to be thinking about in terms of maybe they're in the twenty three, but they're injured or just coming back into fitness?
1: I think Giassi Zardes is another name that comes to mind as someone who's currently out injured. Uh, obviously, we have Christian Pulisic dealing with COVID. We don't don't know how he's going to recover from that. I don't know if he actually got his negative test that he needed. Um, I believe Daryl DK might also be carrying a shoulder injury still from the Gold Cup and not be available for selection.
0: Eventually, we're just going to start calling ourselves the Giassi Zardes fan podcast. But <laughs> um, I did see, so Pulisic did enter the U.S. He uh, needed to do a negative COVID test to enter the States. And he was actually the first player on the practice field from the pictures of practice this morning. Um, so it looks like he's good to go. I'd also call out Yunus Musa. Um Actually, funny that we're talking about Matt Miazga moving to Alaves. Uh, Alaves played Valencia over the last weekend and Musa got a substitute appearance his first appearance of the season coming back from an injury as well. So if those two perform in La Liga I would expect them to start playing a bigger part in the US World Cup qualifying teams but right now awesome to see that we have two players playing in La Liga getting back into fitness and form and they're probably not on our list of people that were snubbed from this roster which is just kind of shows the strength and stability and depth of where we're at right now
1: yeah it's insane the talent level that is going to europe and playing in top five leagues right now is just in it's growing exponentially almost and we're gonna see more and more of it and it's it's just an exciting time to be a us fan so we've got a great qualifying cycle ahead of us and it's just gonna get better from there
0: Let's dive into the qualifying cycle. So I think the biggest two pieces that I want to cover today for everyone listening is just the roster in general. So we'll do our stars and strikes that uh, everyone loves, the recurring segment, where we'll give you our top three things that we love about this, this roster and the top three things that we maybe would have changed, possibly the snubs that we'd like to see on the roster. Outside of that, this is a new um, format to World Cup qualifying, so whether you lovingly call it the Ocho or something else, just the the third round of CONCACAF qualifying for for the World Cup, there are going to be 14 total games. And until the last round, there will be three games in each window. Usually, there's two games in each window. So the teams are going to need to have more depth. There's going to be a lot more players switching, players starting, players substituting that we would normally not see in these World Cup qualifying rounds. So let's talk about the roster first. Just give me your, your overall uh, opinion of the roster and then we'll get into the stars and strikes.
1: I I don't know if I'm in the minority or not, but I think this might be one of the best rosters the U S has ever put together. Just on paper, it is full of firepower. It is full of players who've had an amazing club season, club record over the last few years. And you know, I I just I'm excited to see where we can go with this group. Yeah. The only
0: roster that comes even close in my mind is the 2014 World Cup roster. But cuz I had Tim Howard in form for Everton, that had landed or not landed <laughs> uh Clint Dempsey, but Julian Green at the time was at Bayern. Um Jermaine Jones was playing Champions League for Schalke if you can think that Schalke is a Champions League team at any point in their history. But again, this, for me at least, especially for World Cup qualifying rosters, this is by far the strongest roster. And if you look at when we lost to Trinidad and Tobago in Cuba, it's not even comparable, these rosters. It's kind of insane, the step that we've taken in the last four years to really reach this piece and you can see in the ages of the players as well like everyone almost everyone is under 23 that would be starting other than the goalkeepers and maybe john brooks but man oh man amazing roster front to back let's talk about maybe it's the best that we have ever seen but could it be better so give me your top three stars and then maybe we get to the top three strikes of what you would have done differently from greg Berhalter.
1: Let's see, my three stars. My first star will be Conrad De La Fuente getting the call. Seeing him move to Marseille, he's seeing him electrify in Liga is just been awesome to watch. And I'm glad to see him get a look on this roster. I think he's going to make the most of it and show out this camp. Um, let's go number two to the center backs. We pulled in six center backs, which is a crazy amount for the U.S., but I think is a good thing. I think it shows that we're going for a very flexible tactical look at this team. I think maybe even a back three, something to talk about as we go forward, looking at this roster, glad to see Miles Robinson and James Sands on there after an awesome gold cup. And then I think the biggest surprise that I kind of am glad to see is we chose to call in two left backs instead of three right backs, which George Bello, I'm so happy that he gets the look. He's a great player. It looks, it's an interesting look going forward for the US. I think it opens up a few new windows and maybe solves some of our controversy about who's going to actually play that left back slot.
0: Yeah. Can we pause there before we go to strikes? Because I think the James Sands and the left back piece gives us some insight into how Greg might line up. And to me, that kind of says that he's trying to build the team around a three at the back system, or at least similar to how he played in some of the knockout rounds in the Gold Cup, where James Sands was playing as a three-in-the-back defender but would move into the center defensive mid when we were in possession. Do you think this roster kind of tells us anything about the strategy and formation that we'll use?
1: I do. I think it really does scream back three, especially given we only brought in five central midfielders. Now, with the way of news, I think that we I'd be shocked if we don't see an extra central midfielder brought into the roster, whether we see I guess Eric Williamson went down last night, so probably not him, but like a Julian Green or a Luca Della Torre could easily be brought in and perform really well in this camp. So that could happen, but I still think that only having five central midfielders as of this moment is a sign that we're not going to try and run a 4-3-3 at least the entire window. We could. We have the personnel for it, but it doesn't seem likely to me.
0: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. So let's move on to the three strikes. Um, I I have somewhat of a contrarian view to people having contrarian views, if that makes sense. So maybe people that are listening will say to themselves, how dare Bearhalter call in Tim Ream and Sebastian Leggett? I'll give my piece on that, but let me hear your three strikes. What would you have done differently or changed?
1: I mean i I have a hard time coming up with strikes for this roster. I, 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 in general, am really happy with it. Maybe brought in an extra central midfielder instead of eight attackers, but I'm not sure who I would have taken out of the attacking core. Maybe I, I mean, all eight who we called in are great. Maybe drop a striker. Um, Tim Ream is obviously a bit of a head scratcher. Chris Richards was available for selection. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's there's very few ways to improve this roster in my mind.
0: Agreed. I think one strike that I could give potentially is more just on the flexibility of rules. So you're you're apparently allowed 28 players on the roster to bring with you to camp. And then you need to choose your roster of 23, 24 hours before the game. And Greg brought in 26 and with Timothy Wea going down it. It drops it to 25. So I'm wondering why when we have players like Chris Richards, for example, that maybe he's not ready to start and jump directly into CONCACAF World Cup qualifying games, but why not bring him to a camp? Why not get him introduced to all the players and the systems and all those things? So it's not necessarily about how the roster is made up. It's more about just why why wouldn't we use that additional flexibility to potentially bring in players that will play a larger part going forward in world cup qualifying.
1: I, I think that, so I've been looking a lot at this recently. I think your club situation has a lot to do with Berhalter selection. He values playing time and he values a stable club situation. Chris Richards, espe- especially more than anyone else in the pool is in the weirdest, most unstable club situation that we have. He is currently playing a hybrid left back left center back, occasional sub-appearance for Bayern Munich, which is great. Most players in our pool could not ever dream of getting to that level. But at the same time, being a center-back is all about forming a rhythm, forming a partnership, knowing where all of your players are going to be around you. And I don't think he's had a chance to do that at the club level at all, and even less at the country level. So Burhalter might see him just not being ready for that yet and want him to get more of a stable club situation before coming in. Also... The European transfer window ends tomorrow, and Hoffenheim has been pushing for him. So he was could be say, on the move.
0: Yeah. <laughs> not only is his club situation up in the air about how much playing time he's having or if he's even going to stay at the club, I think that's another question that he needs to answer is, is a transfer imminent, whether that's a loan back to Hoffenheim like he did last year. So for me, yeah, I when people say, uh, why is Reem. On the roster, he's an obvious head scratcher, to use your words. If I'm Greg Berhalter, and again, I'm giving you a perspective of what I think Greg is thinking, not necessarily what I would say or prefer, (laughs) in my opinion. But I think the way that Greg would talk about this is that you have a player that has played for the U.S. Men's National Team for 11 years, since 2010. He has over 50 caps. He was on the team and captained the team through tournaments this year when we won... The, the cups um, he's currently captaining a team that's going to battle for promotion this year back into the premier league and he's a leader. So I don't care if he has experience at world cup qualifying versus experience at nations league. I just think Greg really values those people that are kind of like glue in camp and you need a balance of young, hungry players versus older veterans that know, you know, going into these CONCACAF games, what they're going to be like if, if you're looking at that person versus Chris Richards, who I'm not saying like Chris Richards is going to be a better player than Tim Ream. There's no question about that, but you have a player that has only made 45 minutes appearances in a cup game. He's a defender when his team won 12, nothing. And he hasn't played other than that in the Bundesliga. So if, yeah, if I'm Greg Berhalter and I'm, I'm putting those two players on paper, I'm probably going to pick Tim Ream when my only other veterans on the team are Sebastian Lejet or Christian Roldan, uh, which Christian Roldan, I would say, is a head-scratcher for me. He's probably my only other strike. There's a lot of chatter about Sebastian Leggett and how effective he is for the U.S., but I actually think he's, he's on the roster for the same reasons that Tim Ream is, not because he's a better midfielder than anyone else, but he is serviceable, especially against Anka opponents. Christian Roldan, for me, still hasn't done enough to really tell me that I should be confident that he's on the roster?
1: I I want to start with Tim Ream, but I do want to touch on Christian Roldan too. Um, Tim Ream, to me, is not brought on this roster to play more than a few minutes. He is brought on the roster to be Greg's assistant coach who knows the players, to be almost a player coach. You see when he's on rosters that he's up in the technical area, talking to Burhalter almost the entire game. He's actually closer in age to Greg Burhalter than any other player on the roster. So he's an old veteran who I think was also in Trinidad and Tobago four years ago, yep. having a player who was there, who is a coach on the field and a leader is just such a valuable thing for this group. That is the youngest roster the U S has ever put out, or if not the youngest, definitely top five. So Having people who know what it's like to fail to qualify for the World Cup, for me, is so important in this window, especially, where we have to get off to a hot start.
0: Yeah, and Christian Pulisic is not enough. Like, he was there in Kuva. He was one of the most emotional players on the field when we lost. But just having him one person is not enough. And he was 17, 18 at the time. Like, we need other people to really form that. But I also want to let you say your piece on Christian Roldan. (laughs)
1: I'm going to point out that Christian Roldan is undefeated in all competitions in 2021. <laughs> he is 24 out of 24 without a loss. <laughs> so maybe just a talisman. For yeah, the we're, if I'm Holder, I'm running him until he loses a game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so true. So true. But yeah, even on the Tim Ream piece, we can talk about this all day, but for me, he, he's not there to play. Like you said, he's there to be a player coach and really like, when you're captaining a team that's fighting for promotion, that's enough experience for me to know, like you still have the hunger. You still have that motivation to really settle the team and and make sure that they're ready to play their best. Um, In terms of the other roster pieces, I think we need to talk about Ricardo Pepe first kind of Mexican American superstar, potential superstar that has chosen the U S and maybe it's, it's, Too soon to say that it's um, not a premonition, (laughs) I should say, that he's going to reach his potential. But it does seem like he had two goals last last night, a brace against Austin FC. He's really coming into his own this year as an 18-year-old in MLS. We've been looking for a striker for the last two years to score goals for the U.S. team. What do you think about Pepe's inclusion and his commitment to the U.S. national team?
1: I'm excited about it. I'm happy that he chose the US going forward. I know that's such a difficult decision and there are other people who've talked a lot more about it, about it with more experience that if you want to go check about it's always nice to sort of get that Mexican American perspective on this. I don't think I'm qualified to talk about it personally, but I am happy that Pepe chose the US and is going to rep us going forward. He's been in the form of his life right now in MLS. so for me if it's, for me calling in a striker, the hot hand should always play. And Pepe is for sure the hot hand. I'm not sure if he's starting yet, but he's he's the hot hand.
0: Let's take hot hand and move that into our strategy for these three games. I have one other point just before we move on from the roster. Someone like Matthew Hoppe. Um, let me see. Anyone else that we're forgetting? Maybe. Yeah, we talked about Chris Richards. Like anyone else that's kind of on that fringe that you think deserves a shot in the next World Cup qualifying round?
1: I mean, we look at a Julian Green or a Luca De La Torre as someone who could possibly call in, um, a Joe Scally, who's just now getting situated and blowing up at Munchen Gladbach or Reggie Cannon was left off this roster too. I think he's another one with weird club situation though. Yeah. Um, there, they the pool is so deep that we could go on forever. Cade Cowell, Caden Clark, both of them probably deserve a shot. Pulisic was called in during world cup qualifiers around their age. Um, yeah, Daryl D. K. still hasn't been named, and hopefully he gets healthy in his club situation sorted out. There's just, there's so many names. I, I don't think we're going to see more than 19, 20 of the same players in every single window. I think we'll keep calling in some new players. So, yeah. yeah. and
0: And that's where I'm very happy with the Gold Cup this last summer. Like from Nations League to Gold Cup, we kind of have our top 50 to 60 players. And a lot of those players, whether you like it or not, are going to see some time Mm -hmm. uh, with the U.S. team this year. Um, So let's take that hot hand conversation and move it to the three games coming up. So the U.S. is away to El Salvador, home to Canada, and then back away to Honduras before heading back to the club seasons. Should Pepe start the first game against El Salvador?
1: I don't know. I, I I personally would say yes, because I don't value the El Salvador game as much as I do the other two, which is going to be contrary to maybe popular opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are on
0: I it. I think it's more momentum for me when I think about El Salvador. Like If, if you gave me the FIFA rankings and places that we're playing, you would probably say, okay, Canada's going to be the hardest game. Honduras is going to be the second hardest. El Salvador would be the third. But El Salvador recently has been making some some really good results. Um, They have an experienced American coach, actually, that has like 70 caps for the U.S. men's national team and played in the World Cup. Um, They have a few players from MLS. They have someone that is actually from the Dutch League in the Netherlands. So I'm... I'm almost leaning to the point where I think El Salvador is our second hardest game this window. And Honduras should be, for me, when when I look at Pepe and should he start, I would probably say start someone in that first game that has more experience with this team, not Pepe. So whether that's Sargent or someone else, start them in that first game. Canada, for me, probably needs to be as close to our A squad as possible. And then hopefully Pepe has had some sub appearances. He's had five or six days with the team to train. If, if we've gotten six points at the, that point, I would see no problem with starting Pepe against Honduras.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we should see a more experienced group. And I think more experience as in U.S. men's national team, Caps should prioritize club experience for the yeah. El Salvador game. I think DeAndre Yedlin needs to start first and foremost. I would be shocked if he doesn't start that over game.
0: over Serginho Dest, or yes. do you think Dest plays left back?
1: No, I think that you play Sergeant. Or I think you play Yedlin. Excuse me, and Bello. Actually, in that first game, give your European guys time to fly to the U.S. Adjust and get down and like into camp for a bit before you. Okay. So you're
0: talking U S based experience.
1: Yeah. I'm telling you U S based experience and U S men's national team experience should be prioritized. Someone like Yedlin who has been at a world cup, who has played away world cup qualifiers should be there to set the tone in game. One should be there blowing people up and charging down the flank and just being a leader on the field, especially given Pulisic won't be playing. So for me, Yedlin and Brooks have to start game one just to be that CONCACAF experience on the field. I would, for the same reason, like to start Kellen Acosta.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kellen Acosta coming in hot form from Nations League Gold Cup. Uh, Colorado has been doing quite well recently in their MLS form. So, I yeah, I don't see any reason why... Um, well, Tyler Adams, for me, is kind of a... You can't leave him on the bench player just because no one else plays the position like him. But I do agree that in general, when you look at the flow of these three games, for me, it would be El Salvador. Take your experienced players, the players that you're confident can get your result there. Play your best players against Canada. We're home. We've played this team two or three times in the last year. We know what that's going to be like. And then kind of from there, depending on how many points we have, go with a bit more of a mix against Honduras. Um, I, I think one thing that you said there, again, I don't know if Pulisic is completely ruled out or if he's just going to come back into fitness. He, he is with the team. He passed a negative COVID test, so he could potentially get substitute minutes. But I agree. I don't think he's going to start against El Salvador just because he he hasn't played any soccer for three weeks.
1: So given six, who do you have starting in this place? Is that Brendan Aronson's spot to lose?
0: Well, herein lies where I think we come back to the the Gio Reyna discussion. Thanks for reminding me. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I think what I would do is go with Brendan Aronson on the left wing and potentially Conrad on the right and have Giarena playing a 10 or an 8. Um, I really just want to see Gio Reyna play the position that he's played for Dortmund just because he's been so effective in it. And especially against these CONCACAF teams, he can really just help us set the flow and set the the stage for the rest of the game with his, he, he's one of the most intelligent teenage players that I've, I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I do think potentially Aronson Conrad and then Sargent is going to be my starters um, but Pulisic, for me, I actually don't know if he takes the place of Conrad or Aronson when he comes back in. We, we've seen him play on the right and the left, especially for the U.S. national team. I think he's more effective on the left. But Brendan Aronson even has played right wing for Salzburg. Has played a ten for Salzburg. So I just think we have a really flexible team. But if we go with the four three three, that's that's kind of how I envision that setup.
1: Now, I think something we do have to take into account, too, is the way that these teams are going to play. So we know El Salvador is going to come out in, I think it's going to be a 4-3-3 or something close to it. And they're going to come at us. They're going to play. They're not going to sit back and bunker like you normally expect from these sort of smaller CONCACAF nations. We'll see Canada come out in their back three with a really dangerous front three. And, you know, Tejan Buchanan will play one of the wing backs too. And then El Salvador or Honduras is going to come out in the low block four four two and just let us have the ball. Yep. So we have to take that into account when we're thinking about this, that maybe we try and put together a team that can hit quickly on the counterattack and can play through a very open El Salvador team. Yeah. When we build this roster.
0: While I'm very confident in these next three games, it's also just a really interesting setup, not just with the quick turnaround times, but I think to your point, all three of them play very different styles. Um, if you watch, and and I'm going to go off kind of recent Gold Cup performances, because that's, to me, that's like the easiest way to think about how these teams might come out against the U.S. When El Salvador lost to Mexico 1-0, it was a very close game. El Salvador had their chances, and actually when Mexico was in possession, passing it across their back line, they didn't uh, hesitate to put pressure on the back line and really step up their entire team. So I don't expect El Salvador to really sit back the entire game. They will have portions of it where they're taking their foot off the gas and allowing the U.S. to have the ball. I think when I look at it, Honduras is really going to be the team that sits in a low block and has the U.S. key possession. When we talked about like U.S. men's national team experience and having the the confidence in yourself going into the El Salvador game, that's when I think young players and players with less experience can get very rattled. You come into a very hostile environment. Maybe you get plucked early or or a tackle from behind. Ref doesn't call it because we're in CONCACAF now. And maybe, you know, El Salvador hits us because we made an errant pass and they, they get an early goal. Those are the types of situations that can absolutely crush the young inexperienced team, no matter how good you are, no matter what club situation you have. So for me, and and maybe that's similar to you that's just why i think experience is really going to matter going into el salvador plus it's our first game in the window like we we really just need to get a result from there and whether it's ugly or not we shouldn't really care what it looks like at least against el salvador
1: yeah i agree what just out of curiosity what's your minimum acceptable points from this window
0: 7 is okay. minimum okay. if it's 6 i'm on the fence
1: okay I, I think I could be persuaded for five, but I want to see at least six.
0: Yeah, it's it's more just like the talent that we have now. We uh-huh. uh, I got into a few arguments with Tech, with Filippo, this, this week on Twitter. One of them was about setting expectations for this team. I think we should have higher expectations and at the same time be realistic that this is a brand new group. This is the first World Cup qualifying that is in this format. This is going to be the first World Cup qualifying games for a lot of our young players. I think maybe in the middle of the qualifying cycle when everyone has kind of had time to get blooded on this, then we can start to raise the expectations. But yeah, expectations for me right now should be seven minimum.
1: I agree. I I think seven is a realistic, we need to win one of these games away and we need to get a result in the other. I think what I've been seeing is that you need to win your home games. First and foremost, we have to beat Canada. That is non-negotiable yeah. for me. Um, but if we win all of our home games and we average a draw on the road, then we're going to qualify. That's just sort of that's easy the qualification there. Yeah. If you, that yeah. That's the math. <laughs> so yeah. even last time we we did that and we were one point away from qualifying in our worst World Cup qualifying cycle in Decades. Yeah. So if we get a win away against either El Salvador or Honduras, that buys us two losses on the road in qualifying. Yeah. That we can still average out to a draw.
0: I, I think the other interesting point that we've actually talked about on this podcast as well is that this first round of World Cup qualifying games is actually probably the easiest round for the US when you look at it in totality but it's also the first. So I really think unexpected things are going to happen. We have a very young team again. So just for me, yes, seven should be the minimum when I think about the talent level and the team that we have, but I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if five or six is the result. And until that starts to become the norm, and I'm not really worried about this team going forward, but we, we need to set ourselves up for success. If we can get two wins out of these three games and go with six points into these next World Cup qualifying windows, like you said, you buy yourself a lot more room to have a bad day, a bad result away from home.
1: Yeah, and I keep in mind, circled on that calendar are away games in March at Mexico and Costa Rica. And I don't want to leave qualifying that late. I really don't. I don't want to have to go down to Mexico City and get a result. And winning these games early is the key to not having to get a result in Mexico City. So,
0: exactly. You you take advantage. (laughs) Yeah, you take advantage of the schedule that you have. And if we can go in without um, any pressure to get results from Mexico or Costa Rica, I actually think that builds into the way that we can play and the way that we can perform at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I I think that by the Honduras game though, like all this planning, all of these roster discussions that you see are just gonna go out the window. It's gonna be these first two games are gonna be crazy and we're gonna see who's got legs left at the end of them that can play.
0: Yeah. One thing that does worry me is El Salvador and the Gold Cup, especially played really well in the last twenty minutes, very similar to mm-hmm. the US actually. Um mm-hmm. so we'll see. Yeah, once we're down and, and we have a few subs through and everyone's tired and had their red-eye flights back to the U.S., all those things. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting going into those those last 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting. I'm actually going to have to check the weather to see what it's going to be in San Salvador <laughs> on Thursday night, but I wouldn't imagine it's going to be cold.
0: <laughs> yep. sorry, I have Dempsey joining me. Clint Dempsey always wants <laughs> to get in on the action.
1: It, it's going to be in the high 70s, and extremely humid. Okay. Like we're talking 96% humidity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> at least it's not 90 and humid.
1: Yeah. No, but it, it'll be a rough road environment. I, I do think that it'll be hard to sort of play out the end of that game, especially for our European players. I also want to see a team of exclusively Southern-based U.S. players, like our Galaxy players, and Atlanta players that are used to heat and humidity to go in and try that result.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so next week when we're on this podcast, I think two or three of the games are going to be played. I know what you'll be happy with, with the points, but what do you expect to happen?
1: I fully expect draw-we-win. That's that's my sort of expectations. I think we draw El Salvador. I do think we're going to get Canada. I really, (laughs) the more I look at our roster, the more... I feel like Canada's center backs are looking at that roster and are terrified. <laughs> like the fact that they have to go up to any of that combination of eight strikers we can throw out there is none of them are going to want to deal with that. Yeah, and I don't think they can be. deal with that.
0: Canada is going to be. And then really I just don't. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, Canada. I just I don't think that Honduras can beat us right now.
0: Yeah. They don't have much momentum like El Salvador does. El Salvador might be a worse team on paper, but they're definitely building some type of program there. Honduras is kind of going in the the opposite direction. But for Canada, um, Jonathan David scored over the weekend. For Lille, he's in form. Uh, They're going to be at a much healthier point than they were in the Gold Cup against us. And their coach, I think, is very underrated. He tries a lot of different things that tend to work. Um, and something that did happen against the U.S. was when Tejan Buchanan moved um, from w- the left wing to the right wing in the Gold Cup and completely overloaded Sam Vines as the left back. So I don't think you can look at that game in the Gold Cup when we beat Canada and say we completely deserved it. So in, in our home game against Canada, I do think we should win, but it's not going to be an easy victory by any means.
1: I agree. I I think that's the game. If we're going to throw a back three out there, that's the one I want to see us throw back three out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. So anything else to say on these three games coming up before we head out for the week?
1: I mean, four years ago was the most disappointing point that we've had as U S men's fans. And the last four years has really felt like it was building up to this week. So we have seen players hit their clubs best we've seen players hit their highest highs for their clubs set national team records we've seen a youth explosion it's time i'm just ready to get started i'm so excited that we finally get back to world cup qualifying i'll be in nashville this saturday maybe some i'll see some of you guys there hopefully i do i'm so excited to just see where we go
0: awesome make sure you follow tom on twitter so you can see where he's at and say hi to one of the best co-hosts in US <laughs> soccer podcasting uh, next week we'll we'll have a review of some of the games we'll do some breakdowns on what the rosters looked like our formations, the results and we'll have a better picture of what the US is going to look like going into the World Cup qualifiers coming up next thanks everyone so much for joining us I hope you enjoy your week have a good one guys